0: Well, tonight, um, we are going to finish up the series that we've been doing called "Undercover Priest." And uh, I want to say this at the, at the beginning here. Like, This is so important for us to get. Like this, this stuff that we're talking about in this series that we're going to focus on tonight, in many ways we're laying this foundation that we're going to build on. We're laying this foundation this fall that we're going to continue to build on through these next few series leading up to Christmas. And especially as we move into this new building, our paradigm is going to change significantly over the next month or so, uh, next two months. And so we want to be prepared. Prepared for that. And this is a very key thing in all of it. I want to say from from the very beginning, I want you to get this tonight. I really I really want you to tune in and get this. I want you to, to take ownership of your part. Like what, what your role is in this, that God is calling you to. You know, we have all of these dreams and ideas. Like as we look around the city of Barbara and we have all these dreams and ideas and this vision that we feel like God has given us. But the truth is, to make any of that happen in any significant way, we need all of us to be on board. Like, we need you. You have a calling in your life that God has put there to help uh, advance the gospel, advance the kingdom of God. And what we're going to talk about tonight is a big part of that. So, here's my challenge to you tonight tune in. Like, I know we all got a bunch of stuff happening before you came in here. Maybe some bellies are rumbling. You're like, man, I'm ready for dinner afterwards. Please. Please tune in tonight and make this personal. Like We're going to dig into this passage that we've been spending the last couple weeks in. Make it personal and think about what difference does this make for me? Apply it to yourself, okay? So uh, we've been saying that uh, each of us walk in here with lots of different labels, right? We have lots of different labels. I may be father or mother or son or daughter or brother or sister. We may be factory worker or doctor or uh, marine or student, right? We may be athlete. We may be artist. We have all these different kinds of labels. But if you're a follower of Jesus, none of those labels are your identity. My identity, strangely enough, like this is so strange. strange, but my identity is a priest, right? I'm a priest who's undercover. For me, I'm a priest who's a father, who's a son, who's a brother and who's a pastor, but I'm a priest. I'm an undercover priest. And so are you. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what God calls you. He calls you a priest. And we said, what does that mean? You remember this? We said, what does that mean? What does it mean that I'm a priest? So we look back at the Old Testament priesthood and we said, what does a priest do? What is a priest like? And then we said, basically a priest is two specific things. Okay, You're chosen by God to do really two things. The first thing is have this special connection to him and have this special connection to other people. We said, priests, they and they alone had the ability to experience God in the most intimate of ways. The most intimate of ways, beyond any of the other Israelites, they could enter into the presence of God and experience him differently, differently than anybody else. They had, the priests had special access to God and they weren't just called to be good people that kind of minded their own business and were kind to others. They had a higher calling than that. They were called to be God's intermediaries. The priests had a role from God to teach people, to lead people and help people connect with the God of the universe that love them, right? That's the role of the priest. They're chosen by God really to do two things, to have this special connection to him and have this special connection to other people. And we said, we said, listen, it's a strong statement, but it's true. Each of us is gonna be restless and we're gonna be uneasy and we're gonna feel like we're just not quite right until we embrace this identity. We have lots of different labels, We have one identity, and until we embrace that identity, life's going to feel a little bit out of whack. We're going to be uneasy, right? And so last week, Caleb looked at the first part of this. He looked at this special connection to God that we had. He did it by looking at Hebrews chapter 10. I thought he did an amazing job. I was challenged by it. And how because of the blood of Jesus, because of the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross, we can enter the most holy places of God with confidence. Because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, we can enter these most intimate places of God with confidence. Just like the high priest, and only the high priest could go into the most holy place of, of the tabernacle, of the temple. Only they could do it, and they did it with confidence, because God gave them access. You and I, as priests, have, can enter into his presence confidently. The most intimate parts, the most holy places of God, we can enter into those places confidently and with full assurance. And here's the most beautiful thing. He invites us to come. He calls you a priest. And he says, come to me. Come experience me intimately. Who I am. I want you to come. That's what priests do. That's what priests of Jesus Christ, dwelt by the Holy Spirit, which is a, a, it's part of this conversation. It's beyond this conversation. You need to know this. As a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you as a priest of God, right? The Holy Spirit living inside. Of you. This came, became real for me. It was like... I was an intern at. It's probably 13 years ago. I was an intern at a big church in Akron called the Chapel. So, probably some of you guys have heard of the Chapel. Great church. It's where I started in ministry. And I just finished up my internship. I was like ending my internship, and they're deciding if they want to hire me or not. And so they asked me. The pastor of the church at the time was a guy named Newt Larson. And Newt Larson, if you've never heard of Newt Larson, Newt Larson is like this icon in this area as for pastors. Just this incredible man of God who is incredible leader, incredible teacher, incredible shepherd. And so they're deciding if they're going to hire me. And they, they asked me to teach this class, this four-week class on Philippians, the book of Philippians with Newt. And I was like so nervous. And, and, and here's the thing. So it was a class on Philippians. The book that we used was this, this little commentary on Philippians. And the author of the commentary on Philippians, the book that we used, was, can you read that? Newt Larson. <laughs> I'm like an intern. I'm like, what? Do you want me to teach this? Class? So I'm so nervous. I'm walking down the hall one day. I'm like getting ready for this, you know. Class hasn't started yet. And I see uh, my, the guy who was my direct boss at the time. his a guy named Todd McKinney. You've probably seen signs around town. Todd's a judge now. But he used to be a pastor at the chapel. He used to be my boss. And I passed him in the hall, and he's like, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, not that good. I'm nervous about this, you know? Like, I'm freaking out a little bit. I teach this class with Newt. He wrote the book of the commentary on Philippians. And he stopped me, and he said, listen, this is so good. It's changed my life, really. He said, listen, the same Holy Spirit that's working inside of Newt is also working inside of you. The same Holy Spirit that makes Newt a great leader, a great teacher, a great pastor, is the same one living inside of you. Relax. And I was like, yes, it changed me. Here's the point you and I, as followers of Jesus, we each have this unique, special access to God, this special intimacy with Him. And it's beautiful. And we will not be all that God wants us to be until we embrace that identity. I love what Caleb said last week. This, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but this clergy-laity distinction, it, it, it's not in the Bible. You are clergy. I am clergy, right? We're priests together. That's our, that's our identity. Well, tonight, here's what I want to do. I want to spend the rest of our time talking about... Last week, Caleb talked about the special connection with God. I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this special connection with others. And I want to do it by going back to this passage where we've been spending time in 1 Peter chapter 2. So, if you've got a Bible, please flip it open to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible or if you don't got one with you, raise your hand. Joe is double-fisted with Bibles back there. He's ready to give you a Bible. Thank you. By the way, if you don't have one of your own, keep that Bible. I met a guy this week who didn't have a Bible. I gave him a Bible. Keep it. In the church Bibles, it's page 981. It's toward the back of the Bible. I want to look a little bit more deeply at a few of the verses here. So we've been looking at this the last couple weeks. This passage is absolutely loaded with meaning. It's loaded with significance for us. And so I'm excited to dig into this together. So 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 4. We're going to throw it up on the screen as well. This is what Peter writes. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So we talked about, the priesthood, right? Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, and then he goes and Peter uh, quotes three Old Testament passages here. Three passages in the first part of our Bible. Two from Isaiah, one from Psalms. First one's Isaiah 28, he says, for the scripture says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, this is Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. That's from Isaiah chapter 8. He goes on, Peter goes on, he says, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But he says, but you are a chosen people. Remember, begin begin to apply this to you personally, okay? He says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light powerful there's so much there so i want i want to pull some stuff out of here it's jam-packed with meaning and implication for our life that i am praying 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 you and i will embrace this personally okay so look at the passage who here's a question who's the living stone capital s in stone who's the living stone in this passage in verse 4 look at verse 4 who is it jesus right yeah, there's verse 4. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, capital S, rejected by humans. Jesus was rejected by humans, right? He's nailed to a cross, but chosen by God and precious to him. It's interesting. When you read the, the Old Testament, the Old Testament refers to this. It, it, there's lots of prophecies about the coming Messiah. And the Old Testament refers to this coming Messiah as a rock. He uses a metaphor of a rock or a stone numerous times, numerous times in the Old Testament. Three of those times are quoted, right? in this passage that we just read, right, in 1 Peter, uh, Isaiah 28, Isaiah 8, and Psalm 118. Daniel talks about it as well. It's lots of different times. This coming Messiah, he's coming, and he's a rock, he's a stone. You ever think about what that means? Like I said, it's an interesting metaphor. Like why, why, would, why would he be referred to as a stone, as a rock, I remember when I was like my son's age, my son Luke is like 10, maybe I was a little younger than him. We went with, we'd always go with two other families up to this place on Lake Erie called Lakeside. You ever been to Lakeside? You ever heard of Lakeside? It's an awesome place, incredible. It's a little Chautauqua community. Google that sometimes, it's really interesting. But it's this cool place, and we're over there with a couple other families, and we're on like the shore, you know, like the beach. And, it, and Lake Erie, if you've been up there, it's rocky, it's not like sandy, right? So, you know, as an eight year old kid, you see rocks and water, what do you do? You got to pick some up and throw them. I'm in the water, right? So we're like, we get some rocks, and me and my friend Brian, he was like on this side of me, and I'm throwing rocks. I'm trying to skip them, and I don't know what happened, but it maybe like stuck to my finger a little too long, and so I threw this rock to skip it, but it it went this way, and it hit my friend Brian right in the head. Yeah. <laughs> So what do you think, how do you think Brian would describe a rock? How would he describe a stone? Well, it's hard, right? I mean, it's powerful, it's firm, it's solid. A rock is unchanging. It is what it is. Listen, God is our rock. Right? That's how he describes himself. He's our stone. He's strong. He's solid. He's powerful. He's unchanging. And in this passage, he's not just called the stone. He's called two different kinds of stones. He's called the living stone, and he's called the cornerstone. Why do you think he's called the living stone? This is really interesting to me. Uh, some of the stuff that I was reading this week said that he's distinguishing himself from the idols of the pagans, the, the quote-unquote gods, little g-gods of the pagans. So here's what, here's what many of the pagans would do, which actually, so the, the, the pagan nations surrounded the Jews back then, right? And actually, as time went on, many of the Jews started acting like these pagan folks. And here's what they would do. They'd see a rock, and they'd pick it up, like, a little big, big boulder, right, by the water. they pick it up, and then they take their chisel, and they'd chisel that rock into some sort of idol, they would call it, some sort of God. And then they would say, here's my God, right? Or they take a piece of wood. They did it with wood, too. they take this fine piece of wood, and they carve it into an idol, and that was their God. And God, the real God, the God of the universe, through the Old Testament prophets, is like so hard on them. He's like, what are you doing? It's not God. It's not me, it's a rock, right? It's a piece of wood. What did you do with the leftovers? You just throw them aside, right? Why would you worship these? Uh, one of the guys that I that I read, he, this is a quote. He said it this way: he said that he that that uh, God is referred to as the living stone is no great surprise. Often the no gods, the idols of the heathen, were made of stone. The Old Testament prophets mocked them as lifeless objects, which their worshippers had to carry about. But the Lord Jesus is alive. He's been raised from the dead. Proof that he's precious in the Father's sight. Our stone is not like a stone that you pick up at the side of the river and you chisel it into something. Our stone metaphorically is living. Right? He's strong. He's mighty. He's powerful. He's not dead. He was killed, but he's risen. Right? So Jesus, our Messiah, is the living stone. How about cornerstone? This is interesting to me. Some of you guys like build stuff. I'm not a builder. I wish I was a builder. Sometimes a man just wants to use tools and build something. I'm not really good at it. I shared with you this summer, I tried to do stuff at our house, like renovation stuff, and I put like this spike through my thumbnail. Like, I'm not good at building stuff, but I'm fascinated by it. Like, I really wish I would. So, I was reading a little bit about a cornerstone and what a cornerstone was. So, if, if Jesus is called our cornerstone, like, what does that mean for us? And here's a couple things that I read. This is interesting. It says, in ancient building practices, the cornerstone was the principal stone placed at the corner of the edifice of the of the building right of the structure the cornerstone was usually one of the largest most solid and most carefully constructed of any in the edifice Another guy said it this way. He said, the cornerstone or the foundation stone concept is derived from the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation. Important since all the other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. Isn't that interesting? I begin, begin to, to move past the metaphor and think, God is our cornerstone. Jesus is our cornerstone. What does that mean? Well, the cornerstone is the most important important of all. It's the first. It's the strongest, right? It sets the foundation. It's the reference point for every other stone in that foundation. This passage says God, Jesus, the Messiah is our cornerstone. He's the living stone. Now, keep that in mind as we go a little bit further in our passage. Peter starts to talk about us, right? So Jesus is the living stone, capital S. And he goes on and he says, what does he call us? Did you see that? In this passage, he calls you and I living stones as well. But we're lowercase s, living stones. So he's our cornerstone. He's the first. He's the strongest. He's the reference point for us living stones who are being built together into a spiritual house. Let me ask you a question. What is the most important thing to any stone in a structure? The cornerstone, right? If you're any other stone in the structure, what's the most important thing to you? Well, it's the cornerstone. Everything else depends on him. Guys, listen. It should be the same thing for us too as Christians. Like Take this metaphor and begin to apply it to you and I. Being a Christian, being a Christ follower, a living stone means that Jesus is our cornerstone. He is the most important thing about us. And like a stone in a structure, every part of my life should be based on him, right? As our cornerstone. Here's a question. Is that true for you? Think about that in your own life. Remember, we're we're making this personal. Is that true for you? Is, Is he the most important thing about you? I like that phrase. I use that phrase a lot because I want it to be true in my life, you know, and I want it to be true in your life. I see the most important thing about you. Are you looking to live every part of your life with him as your reference point? Like, Think about that. Think about what that means. Your relationships, how you conduct your relationships. Are you looking to conduct your relationships with him as your reference point? How about your work? Do you work the way that you do your work, all that you do, how you act at work? Do you do it with him as your reference point? Think about your entertainment, you know, what you use to pass the time to have fun. Do you do it with him as your reference point? Your ambition, right? Is that with him as your reference point? What you do when no one else is around? Is he your reference point for that? It's a good question, right? It's a good question to be asking ourselves. Let me move on. I love this next part because it is so countercultural for us as 21st century Americans. Because you and I are individuals, right? We pride ourselves in our individuality. But this passage, the emphasis on this, in this passage is not on individuals. As we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about you are a priest, right? You are an undercover priest. I am an undercover priest. But the emphasis, like let's be clear here, the emphasis in this passage is not on us As individual priests, the emphasis is collectively on us as a whole. Look at the the passage. Look at verse 5. What are we called? Living stones. Holy priesthood. Plural, right? Uh, Verse 9. A chosen people. It's plural. Verse 9. A royal priesthood. Plural. A holy nation. Plural. We are God's special possession. We, plurally, uh, collectively are God's special possession. See, we think so individually, don't we? Like we're, but, but the truth is, we're undercover priests that are part of a priesthood. It's easy for me to think just about myself. But we're undercover priests that are part of a priesthood. We're living stones that are part of a spiritual house. That's the emphasis in this passage. This is so easy for us to look beyond and forget. The emphasis is on the priesthood. The emphasis is on the spiritual house. Listen, some of us really need to hear that tonight. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not a solo act. Right? Like, it's not just about you. It's not just about me. We're connected to each other. And as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I'm not just living my life doing my own thing, right? My life affects other people, and so does yours. And we've got to recognize that. Many other people, we're we're connected to each other. The living stones are part of this spiritual house. The priests are part of this priesthood. And here's the truth. When you and I don't act our part, the structure becomes weak, right? If we talk about the spiritual house and you and I as living stones, if we don't act like living stones, if we don't do our part, the spiritual house, the structure becomes weak. Think about it, think about a wall, right? Think about like a brick wall, masonry wall, stone wall, said that way. If we got some stones in that wall, they're kind of loose, they're kind of falling out, they're doing their own thing. What happens to that wall? It's weak. It Could very easily be knocked down. A strong wind. A brisk wind can knock it down, right? I think that's the problem with uh, much of the church in our country, to be honest with you. Because we think about us, we think about my life. I don't think about how important my life is to the life of everybody else. I think about me. Why do I need to go to church? I can can worship God wherever I want. Why do I need to be a part of church? You're part of a spiritual house, you're part of a priesthood. We're not just individual priests, we're not just living stones. And when we live this way, when, when we actually do our part, as Jesus told us to do, with him as the cornerstone and us as living stones that are part of it, man, we are powerful together. The church is powerful together. There's some incredible promises in the New Testament about that. Matthew 16, 18 says that the gates of hell will never be able to overcome it. We're strong. There's nothing in this world that could overcome the church when we're together. It's unstoppable. We're an unstoppable force, right? The spiritual house that we're building together. Romans 16:20 talks about the God of peace will crush Satan under us. Will crush Satan underneath our feet. That's how strong we are together. But individually, I'm not that strong. I can be easily tempted. I could be easily slayed when I'm on, uh, swayed slate. Swayed when I'm on my own. Right? I, could, I could succumb and give in to temptation. But man, when I have other people, when I have other stones, other priests in my life that I'm doing life with, man, I am way stronger. I'm way more secure. And beyond that, so we're strong, we're powerful when we're together. Beyond that, we're this holy royal priesthood that's the hope of the world. <laughs> like we're gonna crush Satan one day, right? Totally. We're also the hope for this world that's struggling, that's hurting, that's dying for hope. That's dying for truth. That's what you and I, as a kingdom of priests, the church, get to provide to the world. So how? How, how? how do we do this? How do we, as a kingdom of priests, give hope to the world and crush Satan under our feet? We'll look back at our passage. Look back at verse five. Peter says, you also like living stones, lowercase s. So he's our capital S stone, living stone. We're lowercase stones. You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. How do you and I, as this royal priesthood, how do you and I give hope to the world and crush the work of Satan? by offering spiritual sacrifices. As priests, that's how we do it. We offer spiritual sacrifices. What does that mean, right? What does it mean for me to offer a spiritual sacrifice? Thank goodness it says spiritual because I don't want to slay any animals. That's what a priest did, right? You remember, we talked about this the first week. Like, What does a priest do? What is most of what a priest does? They sacrifice animals. That's most of what they do. Part of the sacrifices that they do, this is interesting, is for themselves. So when, uh, what's, a, what's a priest's name? Josiah, when Josiah, the priest, you have a biblical name, yeah. When Josiah, the priest, is living his life and he's trying to do the right thing, but he messes up, he sins and he recognizes it, and he feels his disconnect with God, he has to get a sacrifice and sacrifice it to the Lord so that he is reconnected with God again. So that's part of what a priest did. How about for us? What does it mean for us as New Testament priests to offer spiritual sacrifices to God? Here's a spiritual sacrifice for you and me. Ready? This is what it says in Romans 12.1. Paul, Paul explains us what this sacrifice is. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, yourself, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and pro- proper worship. I think these spiritual sacrifices that we offer to God are two things. The first thing is me. I offer myself. I go, God, I am yours to do whatever you want with. We don't bring animals anymore to cover over our sin. We bring ourselves. And we say, I offer myself to you. I'm a tool in your hand. Do whatever you desire to do with me. That's part of these spiritual sacrifices. Here's the second part. Let me ask you another question. Do you think that the majority of the sacrifices that a priest offered were for themselves or for other people? Other people, right I like think you, you offer some for yourself, but you offer the majority of them for other people. The vast majority of the sacrifices that a priest offered were ones that others brought to them so that they could be connected or reconnected to God. Let me give you an example good old uh, jedediah here 's another name good old Jedediah uh, realizes he sins and he realizes it. And he feels this disconnect with God. And so he gets his, uh, uh, fem- his best goat, his best female goat, the one with no blemishes, and he brings it over to the priest as a sin offering. And then he lays his hand, it's interesting, when you actually read it, it's not the priest who kills it, it's himself who kill it. So, what it says is he, to, he lays his hand on this on this goat, and then he slaughters the goat, okay? And then what the priest does is he takes some of the blood, and he would put it on the altar, and then he would take the rest of the blood, and he'd pour it out at the base of an altar. And then, this is kind of gross, he, would, he has to take the fat from the carcass, right? He pulls it all out, and he lights it on fire as an offering to God, and here's what it says. This is what it says in Leviticus 4.31. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them, for Jedidiah, for the person that brings them, and they will be forgiven. The sacrifice that the priest offers is to help someone else connect or reconnect with God and receive forgiveness. Guys, this is what it means for us as undercover priests to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. We do it for ourselves. We go, God, I'm a living sacrifice for you. I sacrifice myself to your service. And we do it for other people. We help people connect with God. We help people deal with their sin problem and connect with God in the most intimate of ways. We offer spiritual sacrifices for them what does that look like? Like, what, 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 what does that look like in our life, in your life, in my life? Well, I think it can look an infinite number of ways, depending on our circumstances. But I'll give you a couple categories that I think these spiritual sacrifices fall into, okay? Maybe this will help make it a little clearer in our minds. First, I think, you know, sometimes we're, we're catalysts and we're conduits for people to connect with God. That's what I am. I'm a catalyst. I step out and I make something happen, Right? I'm a conduit. It's through me that someone gets connected with God. That's the responsibility. Sometimes I'm a catalyst and I'm a conduit to help somebody who already knows God get reconnected with them, right? Or, or experience them in a deeper way. As part of my spiritual sacrifices. What does this look like? Well, maybe, it's, maybe it looks like Sally in my grace group. This is made up. Maybe it's Sally in my grace group who's a single mom and she just lost her job and she's scared, and she's wondering, God, how am I going to pay the bills? You know, how am I, I going to put food on the table for my family? And then she starts questioning God. She's like, God, why would you allow this to happen to me? How do you offer spiritual, as an as a undercover priest, as a New Testament priest, how do you offer spiritual sacrifices to her? Well, how about you take the initiative and you go to her. And you say... I just want—I just want to talk. I want to listen. I want to hear how you're feeling. I want to pray with you. In fact, maybe maybe we commit to pray uh, until God provides a job for that person, right? Maybe maybe we bring her a bag of groceries. We act as—we Je- take the initiative, and we act as Jesus' hands and feet to show other people the love of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we do it in the church, just like that. Think about what that looks like for you with each other in an infinite number of ways, right? Sometimes we're catalysts and we're conduits for people who don't yet know Jesus. They've never never experienced him. And we we help to connect them for the very first time. It's not a reconnection, but it's a connection for the very first time. How do we do that? what What does that look like for us? I think Peter would say... Be different. Be different. Don't be like everybody else. Don't be like the world. In fact, if you go to just a, a couple verses after where we left off, we left off at 1 Peter 2, 9. If you go to 1 Peter 2, 11, we'll throw it up on the screen. This is what Peter says. This is a, he kind of deals with this exact thing. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. It kind of goes back to the first part of our sacrifices, right? Where like I sacrifice myself, God, to be holy unto you, right? I choose to live my life in a different way. I love people. I take the initiative. I take a genuine interest in somebody else's life. That's attractive to people, right? Like don't you don't you like being around people that seem like they like you? (laughs) Right? That they care about you. I look for needs that people have. And then I try to meet the need. I try to do what I can do to help meet that need. And I pray, 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 pray that God provides opportunities to talk about Him and meet their spiritual needs. See, this is, this is what we're doing. For in my life, the way this is happening right now, and this is just me, I'll just give you an example in my own life. The way that this is happening right now, me to offer spiritual sacrifices to connect people that are not part of the church with God, what it looks like for me is this CrossFit thing that we're doing on Sunday nights. This, this is just me. Can I, can I be honest with you? I have no need for another workout on Sunday night. Not not because I'm fit. Don't think that way. I don't mean it that way. Because I'm sore. I hurt. Right. And I got lots of other stuff going on. I don't. I don't like need a place to work out. I got a place to work out. I, I'm not bored on Sunday night, and I want to fill up my time. I, I'm not lacking uh, relationships, and I just need to go out and meet people. I love CrossFit. It's fun for me, but it's like the 50th most important thing in my life. It it, it ain't that important. But here's the thing. I see a community of people that love CrossFit, and they have this need. Maybe a desire is a better word. They have this need or this desire for a workout right, on Sunday night, and they also have a need for Jesus, and they may not feel comfortable coming here. So what do we do? I'll choose to be a catalyst. I'll step out. I'll stir things up, right? I'll choose to be a conduit by helping folks, by by offering them my CrossFit experience and expertise, whatever that's worth, free of charge, so that hopefully God will provide me with opportunities to meet their spiritual needs, not just their physical needs, that make sense? That's what, that's what it looks like in my life. I have to work hard to be around people that aren't, I love you guys, but I'm around Christians all the time. And that's not right for me, right? That's not right for me. I have to work hard to be around people that are not followers of Jesus. This is what it looks like for me. And I want to say this, this is not Jeff doing this as a pastor of Grace Church. This is Jeff doing this as an undercover priest, Right? In my own life because I know I need to do this. I know I need to be around people that are not yet part of the church so I can offer spiritual sacrifices, so to speak, to help connect them to the God of the universe that loves them. That, that's what it looks like for me. Let me ask you, what are your spiritual sacrifices? What does this look like in your life? I know how the first part works. You got to make the the commitment, the decision to say, God, I offer myself as a living sacrifice to you. I know that part. But what does it look like for you to be a catalyst and a conduit helping connect or reconnect other people to Jesus and his gospel? What does it look like for you? Like, allow God to to move, to, to whisper to your heart right now. Listen, listen to him. I love what Caleb said last week. I agree with it 100%. If it's just the clergy, if it's just the pastors who are doing this, it's going to fail. It's not, this is not just for the pastors, this is for the priesthood. You're a priest and I'm a priest. We're all clergy together, and it's what we're designed for. I'll say it again you'll be restless, you'll be uneasy. Until you embrace your identity as an undercover priest, as a priest of God, who's offering spiritual sacrifices to him, you'll be uncomfortable, you'll you'll feel out of whack, out of place, until you embrace that identity. See, you and I get to be co-laborers with God. You ever think about that? Like I, I get to walk with God in what he's doing on this planet that's an adventure. That's so much fun. And it gives our lives such purpose. Like life's not just about me. It's not just about the, the grind of my job. It's not just about the drama in my family. I get to co-labor with God to grow his kingdom here and now. That's awesome. So here's my challenge to you. Here's my question to you. Will you embrace your identity as a priest of God? Will you, figuratively speaking, put on your clerical collar, accept who God has called you to be as a priest, as an undercover priest? Let's see if I can get this on. We accept this identity and be who God has called you to be. We pray about the spiritual sacrifices. I'm getting it? Spiritual sacrifices that He's calling you to take. We embrace it. My hope is that this image is lasting for you, and it reminds you you're a priest. We didn't, we didn't get all of you clerical collars to put on. But we did get you on a reminder. And these little things, these little silicone bracelets. We got a whole bunch of them. We're going to have them at the back door. We're going to hand them out to you to wear. And what they say on it is, I am an undercover priest. And I don't really challenge you. Like, There's nothing magical in wearing a bracelet. But there is something important about being reminded of our identity, of who we are and talking to God about it and saying, God, show me what this looks like in my life. Show me what it looks like to offer spiritual sacrifices to you, to be a catalyst and a conduit of helping other people connect and reconnect with you. So on your way out, I want you to have one of these. We're going to sing a song here. The band's going to come out. We're going to sing a song. I really just challenge you to listen to God right now. Ask him what this looks like in your life. What does it look like for you to be a priest of his undercover as a student, as a factory worker, as a policeman, as a doctor, as a nurse, whatever it is, a priest of his, what does it look like for you to offer spiritual sacrifices? What is he calling you to? Take this time, I'm going to pray, take this time and just talk to God and worship him.